0: Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech.
1: We teach the vendors how to run a small business and nobody teaches us that ever, you know, in, in college, and high school, nobody. So the only way to learn how to, how to run a business is just by bumping into, you know, experiences in the real world running a business.
0: Welcome to another
2: exciting episode where we delve into the world of entrepreneurship. Today's guest is Brian Clayton, co-founder and CEO of GreenPal, shares his wisdom on mastering the game of entrepreneurship. From starting GreenPal with no software development experience to building it into a multi-million dollar platform, Brian's journey is extraordinary. In this episode, we discuss personal growth, the importance of service over price, the game-like nature of entrepreneurship, and overcoming insecurities. Let's hear Brian's invaluable insights now. Hey, Brian, thanks for being on the Think Business with Tyler podcast show. How's it going today?
1: Tyler, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me on.
2: Yeah, thanks for being here. Hey, I'd love to start out with, uh, if you could tell us a little bit about what you do professionally, a little bit about yourself.
1: Yeah, so Brian Clayton is my name. I am CEO of GreenPal, an app that is the Uber for lawn care services. So, if you are a homeowner that needs to get their grass cut, rather than calling around on Facebook or Craigslist, you just download GreenPal. Somebody comes out and takes care of it for you, and it's like it's like Uber, but for lawn mowing. Uh, GreenPal is like a uh, ten-year overnight success. My co-founders and I have been in this game for ten years. First few years were we're tough getting the business going, but now we're nationwide in the United States, around 300,000 people using the app every day to get lawn mowing services done.
2: Wow. So I have so many questions. Before I get into GreenPow, I kind of want to talk about just how you got to GreenPal. So you previously had a fairly successful landscaping company, I believe. Can you kind of tell us about that journey a little bit and what brought you ultimately to GreenPal?
1: Yeah. So before Pal, I I started a a little lawn mowing business in high school, not because I wanted to, but because my dad forced me to. I think he got tired of watching me play Nintendo. And he said, get off your butt. I got a gig for you. You're going to go mow the neighbor's yard. Made me go cut the neighbor's grass. Uh, I got paid 20 bucks for an hour's worth of work. And I was hooked. I was hooked on business ownership from that moment. And I thought, man, this is incredible. I don't know why everybody just doesn't do this and I, it just uh, bit me. So the first thing I did was pass out a bunch of flyers all over the neighborhood. And I was 15 years old. And that first summer, I had 10 customers. And I never looked back. I just, every, every year, I just grew that business little by little. And over a 15-year period of time, built that into a real company. It had over 150 employees, eventually getting it over $10 million a year in revenue. One of the larger landscaping uh, businesses in the, in the state of Tennessee where I live. And then in 2013, I was able to navigate getting that business acquired by a national company, a big, huge company with thousands and thousands of employees in the landscaping industry. You wouldn't think companies like that big operate in in this industry, but they do. And so after that, I I took some time off, got bored, thought, what am I going to do with my life? It was very existential. And I thought, well, maybe, maybe I can run a tech business. Maybe I can run a tech company. I read an article about Airbnb and was inspired about what those guys did for being able to book uh, somebody's spare bedroom, I thought, okay, well, if they can pull that off with mobile apps and websites, I don't know how any of that stuff works, but if they can pull that off, maybe I can pull this off for, for lawn care. And uh, it was kind of naivete as an asset. I didn't know how hard it was going to be to build a lawn mowing app, but uh, recruited two co-founders and started working on it. And little by little, I uh, ended up building Green Pound for what it is today. Now,
2: when you said you recruited two founders, were these people you've worked with in the past, or did you just reach out to people that seem to have a profile that would fit in with your business? I'm curious how you approach that.
1: Yeah, ideally, you know, when you're starting a tech business, I didn't know this at the time, but ideally, you get what Paul Graham calls a hacker and a hustler. You get somebody that knows the business side, who's just a natural, like driven person who wants to drive it forward, like a hustler type mindset. And then you get a hacker, somebody who knows the tech side, who maybe, Maybe they've been tinkering with tech their whole life ever since they were a kid, and, and so you bring these two these two uh, talents together, and, and like magic happens. Well, I didn't know any hackers, uh, but I did know two other hustlers, and so I figured these were friends of mine, and I figured if we were all sufficiently motivated, we could learn the hacker part. And that's kind of how we did it. We, you know, the first uh, the first year, we we thought, okay, well, we don't know the tech, we will just outsource that, and so we we spent one hundred and fifty thousand dollars of our own money with a dev shop uh, in Nashville to build what we thought GreenPAL should be. That took nine months, released that into the wild, and it was a total flop, total failure. And so that was a painful lesson that we had to learn in the early days. You know, if we were going to be in tech, you know, if we wanted to be in the technology business, we had to learn how to build tech. And so we had to go back to the drawing board and just start learning how to write software, learning how to code, learning how to design software and and, uh, work on ourselves along with the business took about two or three years, but we were able to uh, rebuild what they built and build it in the way that needed to be built based off the customer feedback from the early adopters that were using it and built that foundation. We were able to build a team around us with what we were learning as we were building. So when you say a flop, what made it a flop? Was it just it functionally didn't work or
2: it just wasn't intuitive, the UI? Or I'm curious, what made it a flop?
1: All of the above. So I guess in defense of the the agency we hired, it kind of almost... It was maybe half their fault, but more, more it was probably more our fault because sure, sure. we didn't know what to tell them to build. And, and so we were kind of going off of all of our assumptions. And so we didn't have experience in building software. We didn't ever have, you know, nobody had ever interacted with an interface to, to order a lawn mowing service. And so there, there really wasn't any kind of roadmap for this. So it was just kind of a shot in the dark. So the so the so yes, the interface sucked. It didn't have functional integrity. It was clunky the way it worked. This was two thousand. 14 13 and so a lot of the stuff wasn't figured out back then and then also you know there was a lot of assumptions that i had that you know from the landscaping business that i that i ported into this idea that weren't necessarily true i thought that you know landscaping contractors would be hungry for this business we'd be where we're driving them and as it turns out they didn't give a crap Hmm. And at the, really the hardest part was actually getting them to show up on time. And, and the hardest part uh, was to make it reliable and smooth was getting them to interact with it, getting them to submit pricing, getting them to actually do the work they were supposed to. What I came to learn was all the reasons why it sucks to hire a lawn mowing service for a basic lawn care cut were now my problem. And, and now I had to solve them through technology. and So that just took a very long time of of iterations just through trial and error, going from one experiment to the next without like a loss of enthusiasm. And the only way to you know make the product better and better based on those learnings is to have the the ability to iterate and and make those adjustments in-house. not just have to go through a work order process every time trying to get another contractor to to solve it for you because because you you don't have the time, you'll ne- you'll never get it built. You'll never get it released to a point where it's usable and so that's that's the hard lesson we we learned and it costs us a lot of money and time so gosh so many questions um you know one of the challenges
2: you just brought up that i often think in the lawn care business is just the reliability of the providers providing the service and since you're more than just a lead generation service where you just pass off the lead and then you're done with it you guys are actually To some degree, caretaking that relationship of both parties. You know, when you think of Uber, I kind of think, okay, it's just a ride. You know, once someone drives, it's really quick. They are able to keep distance between the driver and the consumer, so there's not a relationship being built where that same driver is picking up that person. I don't believe you can do that. At least, how do you do that in a a lawn care setting where I'm assuming the same company is providing the services or subcontractor to the same client? How does that work? But yet, you're still the company?
1: Yeah, it's a great point. Great question. So to your point, yes, it, it, there's no shortage of, let's say you need a lawn mowing service, you need a plumber, you need you need something done around the house. There's no shortage of places where you can find names and numbers of lawn care services, a static repository, if you will, that you then has, as the consumer have to pull, you have to manually go down the list. Even if you go get recommendations on Facebook or, or somewhere else, you still have to pull the providers and say, what is your availability? How much is it going to cost me? Can you show up on Thursday and like haggle through this process? And so up until, you know, we started on this project, the lead gen model was the predominant way of thinking through this. Okay, well, we can aggregate the demand and then we can sell off the leads for whatever, 20, 30, 50 bucks, but we don't, we don't get in the messy middle of trying to make sure that the provider shows up on time and does a good job and so on and so forth. So. You know, how do we figure out all of the stuff, like the hundred things that can go wrong between uh, getting a name and a phone number and getting a nice clean lawn mowing week after week? And so we, uh, we just started tackling it by focusing on one GO, just Nashville, Tennessee, a handful of providers and getting them on the platform and then watching how they interact with it. And then every little thing that goes wrong, building the solution for it. So, you know, my fence gate is too small. His lawnmower doesn't fit. It rained that day. His equipment got stolen. His, his main helper uh, got a DUI last night. His kid was sick. So he has to take care of the kid at home. All, you know, the list goes on and on and on of things that can go wrong with hiring somebody to do this service. He just doesn't answer the phone anymore. Like the case of the disappearing lawn guy happens more, you know, more often than not. So, so solving these problems little by little. And what we became to uh, understand was we had to have a contractor kind of first mentality if they're not winning if they're not making more money if they don't love it then we don't have a product and so really getting into the daily day-to-day life of why their life is hard it's really it sucks to make a living as a lawn care service i mean it's just you're in the hot sun all day people don't pay you you know you're trying to get customers nearby the customers you already have uh, it's hard work you're exhausted you got to like work 10 12 hours a day just to make ends meet so making their life better and attracting them onto the platform and getting that lock-in is, is what gave us the better experience for consumers to then order them off the shelf like a like like a product off of Amazon.
2: So you, you really have... It's interesting listening to you. You really have two avatars. You have your customer that wants the service and you're trying to figure out what their needs are and what, what they want to get met. But then you have the one providing the service and it sounds like you took a really deep look at... What are their needs? Like, what makes this a better experience for them? So obviously, pay has to be right up there. Not only the amount that they get paid, but how fast they get paid, I would think, or that they're sure to get paid. I mean, it's a tough job. Like, what are other things you've done? I'm just curious that would make people want to come to your platform that provide the services.
1: Yeah. So a lot of times, the interests of buyers and sellers in a marketplace are not, not aligned. Right. So a lot of times, they are at odds. And uh, you know Uber is a great example. You know, people get pissed off about the five dollar cancellation fee. The driver doesn't want to sit out there all day. So, so who's you know? What's the right balance you you have to strike? And so we have to make those those trade offs every single day with how we strike the right balance from buyers and sellers. And frankly, we have to err on the side of service providers because without them, there is no product. And so the ways we we have improved their livelihood is through tools like route optimization, getting you through stop-to-stop as quickly as you can, getting you paid uh, very quickly is is a big value add, is a big part of a value proposition. The lawn guy is usually the last person in the stack of household bills to get paid every day or or every week or every month. And so getting them paid in 24 hours is, is a big one. Getting them all of the customers they want and the zip codes that they already service is, is a big part of it. You know, they, they don't know how to run a Facebook campaign. They don't want to sit down and watch a tutorial on how to manage Google AdWords. Uh, they don't want to have to worry about passing out flyers and, and things like that. They just want to mow grass. And so, and so handling that for them and getting them route density, where it's not just you're getting more customers, but you're getting more customers that are nearby and on the way from one customer to the next and really driving the efficiencies in their business and showing them how to do that little by little is how we create that lock-in and create those, those switching costs. On the flip side, uh, for consumers, when you're trying to get this service done, you, know, you don't know, like we mentioned earlier, it's like polling and dialing for dollars. You don't know the availability and you don't know who's good and who's not. And so with GreenPal, you get five quotes back in a couple of minutes and then you can read reviews. Everybody is familiar with that about what other people have said about them. But also you can look at data around how often do they show up on time? Like this is like, we know this because, because the transactions occur on platform. You know, they show up on time 93% of the time. Okay, if you have a party on Friday and you want them on Thursday, that's the right fit for you. This person only shows up 40% of the time on the day they're supposed to, but they're $5 cheaper. Well, this is for an empty lot or a rental property. I don't care if it's it just needs to happen one sometime that week. So if we allow you to make a, a very informed decision on price and quality and availability that you just can't do any other way. Hmm.
2: What about on the the provider of the service when they want to go on vacation, for example? Like, do they just stick with one client or are they floating between different clients?
1: Yeah, no. So it, one thing I was a uh, one assumption I was able to bring to the starting block of starting this business, I think. I think when you're starting a new idea, starting a new business, that that authenticity can be a competitive advantage. And having the domain experience, I knew that in most cases, clientele, homeowners were not going to be cool with a different person showing up every week. There's just nuances to most most, uh, properties and and preferences and little things that, you know, I like to have the black back patio blown off. And there's this hose spigot. And if you run over it, you're going to break it. And so all of these little nuances, I knew that it was going to be important to have the same provider on every property every week. So we teach the vendors how to run a small business. Nobody teaches us that (laughs) ever, you know, in in college and high school, nobody. So the only way to learn how to to run a business is just by bumping into, you know, experiences in the real world, running a business. And for many people, especially in the lawn care business or so low barriers to entry, this is their first indoctrination so owning any sort of business. So it's it's our job, it's our platform's job to little by little teach them on on what it means to be proactive, what it means to be pro- punctual, and how you're measured on that, and how you can make more money if you are proactive and punctual. And like you are a small business owner, you have a hundred customers on our platform. You can't take two weeks off in in July. If you do, you're going to lose all of that business because uh, somebody else will, will will pick that up. And so you know, reliable service providers will get somebody to fill in with for them or something like that, or they'll take that vacation in the off-season. That's just the way the business is.
2: Yeah, okay. And then how do you establish rates? Because I'm just thinking like, obviously, I'm sure you're taking a piece from what the provider is, the services the provider is doing. And then you still need to be competitive when they're looking, you know, when the new customer is looking at all the options they have. How do you figure out pricing to make it all work?
1: Yeah, so so it's a great question. When we first started, we thought that we were going to be competing on price because I had this contractor mindset. When you when you make a living as a as a contractor or even like even an agency and you're interacting with customers all day, you get jaded and start to think that every it's just a race to the bottom and everybody wants the cheapest price. And, and whether that's true or not, that's certainly the way you feel and that's that's the way I felt you know spending 15 years running a landscaping business that that that's what customers cared about so we optimized everything around delivering the cheapest price ad copy the way we built the system everything because we thought that was going to be the motivational like like value add and then what we began to understand was actually through trial and error and, and figuring out you know where our marketing uh, was resonating that it wasn't about price it was just about getting a, a reliable service to show up on the damn day they were supposed to and do a good job. That was the main problem we were solving. If the price was in the market, maybe even five or ten dollars more, people would pay it. And so that was a something that we had to fix and, and learn from that we weren't competing on price. And so if we had a reliable system, we could build in a fee that that everybody would be fine with, that contractors would be fine with, and that homeowners would be fine with paying. So the fees are built in and it varies based on on how much business the, the contractor is doing on the platform. But we have to add 10 times more value than we take out. Anybody running a marketplace has to make it 10 times easier, 10 times more more efficient and has to add more value than they take out. You know, these days, Uber is not much cheaper than a taxi cab. I mean, and many times, taxi cabs is cheaper, you know, but Uber is more convenient. Same with Airbnb, you know, Airbnb is not cheaper than a hotel in most cases, but it's just a different experience. It's nicer. And so a lot of times it's not not on price, and and that's what we had to learn the hard way.
0: If you're a business owner feeling stuck in your business, overwhelmed, responsible for everything that happens, and working long hours, Tyler helps his clients develop processes, hire high-performing team members, and better understand their financial metrics and numbers to allow for a more predictable, less hands-on business. To schedule a free, no-pressure consultation, head to thinktyler.com and click the meeting button. Tyler would love to see if he can help you work on your business, not in your business. Schedule a consultation today at thinktyler.com. Think life, think success, think business.
1: Taxi cabs more is cheaper, you know, but Uber is more convenient. Same with Airbnb, you know, Airbnb is not cheaper than a hotel in most cases. But it's just a different experience. It's nicer, and so a lot of times it's not not on price, and, and that's what we had to learn the hard way.
2: Yeah, that's a great point. In terms of scalability, your model is this scalable throughout the United States, in your opinion, or is that your goal? What are your aspirations, and how scalable is it?
1: Yeah, that was one of my main the one of the main things that attracted me to running a technology business because I spent 15 years in the landscaping business. Not very scalable, although some people figured out how to scale them nationwide. That's like the company that bought my business. But it was very hand-to-hand combat, very boutique. And that was fine, but I didn't want to do that anymore. My next thing I wanted to do, I wanted it to be scalable. I wanted more people to use what it was I was working on and my team was working on. So I came to love the idea of, of build once, sell twice. And technology is kind of that way, uh, where, where if you can figure it out and nail it, then you can scale it. And, and so our model is, is scalable. Now, it's not the easiest one to scale because we, we have to move out by a, by a local geo and, and build every city from the ground up. We've developed a playbook over a decade on how to do that. But now we are nationwide in the United States. If you live in a city with over 20,000 people, you can, you can download GreenPower and, and hire somebody to mow your yard. It's taken a long time to figure out how to get that rollout strategy right. But if you figure out how to do it in one city, and for us, that was Nashville, Tennessee, and not just Nashville, the suburbs around Nashville. So, you know, if you want to, let's say you want to launch a city like Atlanta, you're not launching Atlanta. You're launching Alpharetta, Smyrna, Marietta, Jonesboro, Riverdale. You know, I know all these names because, because that was our second t- city that we launched. And so that's that's the, what we came to learn is like, it wasn't launching Atlanta. It was launching 30 30- pounds around Atlanta. That's how you get a market. going.
2: Yeah. From a consumer standpoint, it sounds like a dream in a way, like who doesn't want to just be able to pick up the phone and instantly be connected with hopefully a highly rated provider. And the challenge, I wonder, like how hard is it? Like, is that your bigger challenge though on the one providing services? And how do you overcome that? I know some of it is faster payment and things like that, but aren't there just some areas where they're just, I mean, do you have to educate them on why this is a, a better route? For them to go through your system as opposed to being self-employed, like it sounds like there's a lot of challenges there to find enough quantity for the service.
1: Yeah, so so on both sides, we have to have a strong, compelling value proposition. Right. Otherwise, why, why is anybody going to use it? And and not only that, but you have to communicate that value proposition in like three seconds hmm. on both sides. And because there's so many products, there's so many different things, and and so you have to get to get you rise above that noise. And so I believe somebody should be able to. Uh, Come to your app, come to your website, and in three seconds, answer three questions. Where am I? What can I do here? And why does it matter? And for us on the the consumer side, it's the easiest way to get your grass cut in 30 seconds, even if it's four feet tall. That's why it matters for consumers. On the vendor side, it's get 10 new customers this week without passing out a flyer or making a phone call and get paid in 24 hours for the work you do. And it's like, okay, yeah, those are all problems I have it sounds like BS, but, but I'm going to try it. And so oh, just try it. And okay. Oh, well, yeah, I am getting opportunities. Okay. All right. And so you, that, that bid opportunities, that first little gateway drug. Okay. All right. Okay. Actually I'm one yard. Okay. I didn't think this was going to work. Okay. Actually I did get paid. Okay. And so now I got one customer now. Nah, right. So little by little onboarding you and getting you locked into the way of doing things and not just trying to do the wholesale pitch in three seconds, just walking them through one step at a time to get them from where they're at, meeting them where they're at, and guiding them where they where you want them to be, helping them succeed. And then in turn the, the platform succeed.
2: Yeah, that's really cool. That's cool. So I imagine when you first started out, and then after you got past the software issues and then you got your infrastructure going, are there different challenges from like say zero to a thousand customers to you know, ten thousand. Like, are, do you have different challenges that you'll be facing, and that you're facing as you scale, or is that infrastructure already set up?
1: It'd be nice. It'd be nice if, if you know, you you had the vehicle to carry you through every level of the game. But, but the reality is, is that in every business, I believe, if if you're doing it right, you as the founder, you as the team, should be evolving into a whole new like person every two or three years, and that's how business is, has been for me twenty two years. Of, of running two different companies and for green pal working through the different levels of the game, there is like a final, a new final boss in every level, a new dragon that you have to slay. And it's a whole new process every single time. And so for, and you got to be willing to do the things to get through that level. And uh, I think what hangs up a lot of new founders is they're worried about Bowser when they're on level one, or they're worried about Mike Tyson when they're like fighting glass Joe. And the reality is you got to worry about Glass Joe. You can't worry about all these other things that don't matter. And so literally, like the first thing we did when we, when we built the first version of Green pal we had no user acquisition strategy. We passed out flyers. We went all over Nashville, Tennessee, passed out 300,000 flyers in the, uh, over a couple of weeks and got a few hundred people to use this crappy app that we had built. But that's what we had to do at that level we had to do that to get to level two. And then, and so then now we got a hundred customers and they're using it. We're not making any money, but at least now we're getting some liquidity and we're getting some learning. And then, then we could talk to all of these people and understand how do you normally find a lawn care service? And, and what are the ways you do that? And then adapt our strategy to, to what we're discovering. In the early days, it's very much one continuous experiment. And you have to like adapt and level up as you grow through the game and, and understand the information is what is what you're getting to help you get to the next level. So, you know, we're maybe metaphorically on level five or six right now, you know, I'm still pretty good at it, but we may find that at level eight, nine, I suck at it. And then we have to get a professional CEO in here that's been there and done that. Sure.
2: Sure. I believe I read in my research about you, you guys have bootstrapped this uh, entire venture. Do you see yourself taking outside capital at some point, investment capital in particular, or is it a conscious choice? You you want to kind of use your own money and have full ownership?
1: Yeah, most of the time when when you're starting a tech company, particularly one that does local services, these things are just cash hungry and they need a lot of money to get off the ground. And uh, in the early days, when we are first starting, that we, we had the anticipated doing that because that's what everybody was doing. And we thought, well, that's what we'll do. And we tried it for three or four months, trying to pitch investors. And I just didn't like it. And I had made a decision that when I was, from the moment I sold my first company, that I was just going to do what I wanted to do and what I enjoyed doing. And I didn't like the idea of building a product that investors loved. I liked the idea of building a product that people love, that consumers love. And so it just didn't interest me, and we just didn't do that. I think that's why we made that decision very early. And so the Green Pal had to kind of sing for its supper day one, and that was a good bet. It was a good bet for us at the moment in time we were in and who we were as founders. And since then, there's been a, you know hundreds of millions of dollars, billions of dollars thrown at different Uber for X ideas. In the last decade, you know, uh, we've had Uber for home cleaning, Uber for laundry service, Uber for valet parking, and nine out of 10 of them, maybe even more than that, have have bombed. Right. And craters. And, and so that's probably what would have happened to us if we had raised, you know, a million dollars or five or $10 million that we wouldn't have known how to deploy it. We would have spent it on the wrong things and this would have been a leaky, leaky bucket. So luckily we didn't do that. Now, here we are a decade in. The business is growing. It's it's doing well, uh, doing $30 million a year in sales. And now we're entering an uncertain economic climate where we're not up against the wall. We're defaults alive from this point onward, no matter what. And it feels good. And so I'm probably going to keep doing it that way until I change my way of thinking or I don't have fun doing it anymore. It's it's kind of my guiding principle.
2: Yeah, I got it. Okay, it is cool. You definitely keep you have your control to execute your vision the way you want to. So I, I applaud you for going down that route. And I've definitely seen that where, you know, once you get investment capital, the investors are trying to hit certain dynamics or where they want to be, and they're going to push the boat as fast as it they think it can go. And sometimes it just falls apart. They can't do it.
1: That's right. It sets off a chain reaction of events, usually that that then you don't have control of. And a lot of times, you know, this is your one thing. For, for investors, they have a hundred of these things or a few dozen of these things that they're placing their bets on. And if you don't have it figured out, if you haven't been around the block a few times, it can very much be like trying to put rocket boosters onto the sides of a barn and or or rocket fuel in a Toyota Camry and it not working out. And it, okay, well, it didn't work out for you, but they've got 20 other bets. And, and so you got to be cognizant of that. If that's the route you want to go down, then just be aware of what the d- dynamics are.
2: Yeah. It's cool though. You are creating true value. I mean, you do have this infrastructure. $30 million is nothing to sneeze at. That's a pretty nice sized business. So you have created a lot of value. And it sounds like if you get around the corner, it sounds like you're really close too.
1: But it's still day one. And we're still just a drop in the bucket. It's a $99 billion industry. Would you believe that? Lawn care and landscaping is a $99 billion industry in in the United States. So we're very much just a drop in the bucket. It still is day one for us, even though we're a decade in.
2: Yeah. Social media. Where does social media fit in your opinion, particularly with your your services? But I'm just curious in terms of helping the audience, what have you done for your social media strategy? How does it fit with your business? Would love to know your thoughts.
1: Yeah, I love social media personally. I mean, my Instagram is my favorite social media account I have. So I enjoy it. I wish that uh, we could have figured out in the last decade how to make social media a growth channel for us. We have never been able to figure that out. And I think it's because when somebody needs lawn mowing services, they go to Google to solve that problem. The brand awareness thing around uh, placing ads in the feed, just doesn't work for us. We tried it over and over and over again, but we still invest time and, and effort in being where people are looking for us just as like a check almost. People will check our social media profile. They'll check our online reputation uh, when they're considering using green Pal. and then they'll see, Oh yeah, no, these guys are responding to their comments. These guys are, are putting out content every day. These guys are, are, are engaging with their audience. These guys have a pretty good review on Facebook, um, these guys. And so that's, that's why we do it. We think it's good hygiene. We, we invest quite a bit of time and effort into being in all of these channels. And uh, now with ChatGPT, we're going to be able to do more because we can do more with less. And so I think it's important. We haven't been able to close the loop on it in terms of a dollar in, a dollar 50 out, but I still think it's worth doing because if it's crickets everywhere for your business on social media, to me, that's a red flag. Like, I mean, just for the other day, I was looking for a a hiking backpack to buy and I knew where I was going to buy it. I knew the price, but this is a check. I want to say, well, what are these guys putting out on Instagram? I mean, and that'll tell me is it worth the price? Is it is the quality there? And and so for me, I think it's a nice validator. It's a good check. That's the way we look at it. And I think it's worth doing, even if you can't necessarily like close the loop on it day one.
2: Yeah, it definitely has good brand value at minimum. I, I totally agree. You know, one thing I thought though. I goof around on TikTok a lot. I love watching these little TikTok videos when I'm bored. And so I'll flip through them while I'm... I don't know, whatever I'm doing. And they have this one where these guys go out and do... They'll go to someone's house that's totally out of control, like really high lawn, just a mess. And they'll ask the owner if they can beautify the property for free. And they'll literally... Do they'll video the whole thing and then they'll fast frame it or fast forward it. So it goes by really fast and they get tons of viewers. And I was, awesome. you know, I, I was wondering if maybe there's something like you guys could do something like that just because it, it, it hooks you like you want to see the end result. And I wonder if there's a way you could integrate something like that and then get some stickiness through that.
1: Absolutely. Or even just sponsor those guys. That's and, true. And too. Know, yeah. That's let true. Them too. Let them do it and, and throw them up or whatever a few hundred bucks a week to have our name associated with that. So you like what does that matter for getting people to sign up for GreenPal where, where I think it matters is search engine optimization is, is the way we get 50% of our customers sure. and the other other half comes from word of mouth. But somebody sees that video they say well what is GreenPal I never heard of that is that you know and then they google GreenPal and that is a good signal for Google Google, in the age of AI written content, in the age of all of this, just how much crap there is out there, Google is rewarding brands. And one signal that Google understands is, are people looking for this brand? Has anybody heard of this brand? Uh, Does this brand exist? And if people are searching for that brand, then that's a positive signal. So so a campaign like that on TikTok, on Instagram Reels, believe it or not, could be a search engine optimization, SEO Mm. lever to pull.
2: Yeah, great point. Is
1: it very hard to measure, but I think it's worth doing.
2: Yeah, great point. That is an awesome point. I like you too, using them as an influencer, probably even beats you doing your own stuff. Although I think it could create some real pride of your service providers too, if you could figure out something and maybe you already do this, but showing their work or showing what they went through could maybe even create some pride for them of like wanting to get on your feed of great. Yeah. yeah, I don't know. I, my mind's kind unlocking of...
1: That, unlocking that would be awesome. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I love it. You got my wheels turning. Yeah, me too. Um, okay, yeah. well,
2: awesome. I, I got one last question for you. I'd love to end this way. Is there something... You've got such a cool story and have had a lot of success. Anything in terms of a business or a life tip that you can share with us that maybe we could apply to our lives?
1: You know, I hope what people get out of an interview with me is if that guy can do it, I can do it. And so I was a a blue collar landscaper for 15 years. And I decided that I just wanted to start a tech company. And that naivete is what got me in the game. Took me three years to kind of make that full transition. But I guess, I guess my point of that is that not to not believe your own BS, Now just because you don't have the title of designer or copywriter or engineer or developer doesn't mean you can't be 80-20 good at it in about six months. You know, today with YouTube University, you can literally learn anything online free. So uh, yeah, do not believe your own BS. Get in the game because only, you know, when, only when you're in the game can you play and win. And I guess that's the one thing I've learned the last decade is getting this company going.
2: Yeah. And you practically floored me just using your own advice. You guys literally... Hired someone to design your software, didn't work out like you hoped, and then it sounds like you actually got knee deep in code to some degree, or at least understood how you wanted to set it up. Absolutely, that's crazy to me. You, you're a landscaper, dude. Like, and now you're building tech companies. That's that's just
1: that's what I that's what I learned was that I could pretty much learn what I had to learn to, to get into this, and it sucked. It wasn't fun. Right. It, it was you know working on the business and working on myself, but. That's one thing I took out of it was that you can learn what you have to learn to 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 get into a business like
2: this. That is so awesome. Such a great story. Hey, I'll put this in the thinktyler.com show notes. Your website is yourgreenpal.com. One more time, yourgreenpal.com. If people wanted to reach out to you, where else would you like them go? Anywhere else? Instagram?
1: Yeah, Instagram is my favorite. Brian M. Clayton, just uh, hit me up there.
2: Okay. Great, Brian. Hey, thanks so much for being on the show. I love your story. Hopefully you can come on again in the future, maybe when you're a hundred million dollar company or whenever you want to, I'd love to talk with you again. Would love it. Let's do that. Okay, man. Have a great one. You too, bud.
0: That's all for this episode of Think Business with Tyler, but we have plenty more resources to help you in your pursuit of business excellence on our website at thinktyler.com. If you'd like to be featured in a future episode of the show, feel free to reach out to us on social media at think underscore Tyler. We look forward to helping you think life, think success, and think business.
2: Hey guys,
0: it's Miriam Love here.